Good morning. I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, we're in for a real treat today because today we have in our studio Mr. Leo Bateri, who's the author of the book, The Power of Peers, which is just released. Leo, welcome to the program, and thank you for coming all the way down from Boston to the Seton Hall campus to do this interview as this book is a very powerful book that talks about the power of peers. Thank you for coming in today. Well, good morning, Darrell. It's my pleasure. So before we jump into the power of peers, uh, which can be purchased through all of the commercial mediums, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and all that good stuff, tell us a little bit about your, your background, your education, and your experience. Sure. Well, professionally, I've spent most of my career in corporate communications uh, on the agency and client sides of the business. I was president of two PR subsidiaries for ad agencies in Florida, later owned my own firm for about five years before I sold it, um, but also worked for a multinational, worked for uh, Hill & Knowlton for about uh, three years or so as a senior VP in the corporate practice and director of client service for the U.S. there. On, and then, of course, most recently, of course, you know, joining Vistage, been there just about six years now, uh, and at this point I actually direct a thought leadership initiative around peer influence and its impact on CEOs. On the academic side of things, uh, it's been a while actually. Um, I took me a little bit to get my master's degree, got it in 2008, and shortly thereafter, and I got it right here at Seton Hall, Master of Arts in Strategic Communication and Leadership, and what was just great about it was it also opened a door for me to teach in the program. Now I've been teaching in the program for just over seven years now, and it's been an absolute gift. It's just a wonderful thing that I get to do is to work with the students here at Seton Hall and participate in that program, and it actually inspired me to pursue my doctoral degree uh, in organizational leadership where I've completed all of my coursework at this point in time and still have a dissertation to finish. So now that this book is behind me, look forward to focusing on that. That is awesome. That is really awesome. And so you teach here at Seton Hall. Um, I guess you fly in because you're bicoastal, correct? Yes, I live in Southern California. I come here a couple of times a year for residencies that we do, but large part I teach um, credit um, courses online. That is awesome. That is awesome. So let's talk about your book, The Power of Peers. Um, when I got the email that you were going to be actually be on campus to do a book sign, I got very excited. Um, but as I got into the power of peers, I realized that you were connected to Vistage, which is a phenomenal organization. What prompted you to write the book, The Power of, of Peers, and what is it all about? Well, you know, actually, I co-authored the book with uh, Leon Shapiro, who's a member of our board of directors. One of the things that we felt strongly about was if you're going to write a book about peers, don't write it by yourself. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, um, but it, it was a really, um, you know, amazing process. And it was started really when back in 2013, we led a rebranding effort at Vistage. And one of the things that really came out of that effort was, what we did, what we do with peer advisory groups for CEOs and business leaders works really, really well. The unfortunate part was for many people, they don't really quite know what it is and why it works so well. So what we thought we would do is step back and look at this from a category perspective. So instead of writing the Vistage book about Vistage, if you will, what we wanted to do is step back. We talked to competitors. We talked to scholars. We talked to 
members of, of many different organizations to learn about what the value proposition was all about so that we could document it in a way, give it a narrative, give it language, so that um, I think more people uh, would you know, learn about it and find it accessible for them. So that was the real impetus for writing the book. Vistage is a for-profit organization and yet very mission-driven with regard to really believing in these CEO peer advisory groups and the power that they have. And the more people we can expose to that, whether they come in with us or, or one of our competitors or even start their own group, uh, we just encourage the practice. I was saying to my wife, Deb, this morning that the beautiful thing about reading your book uh, was actually I used to be a Vistage speaker. And when I, I got to spend the day with a group of CEOs, so everything that you wrote in your book, I experienced, and it really came the it really came to life. It was almost like when you, when you have a, a particular uh, spice, and it brings out the flavor of the food, and 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 that's what your book did for me. It was like wow, it really works because I got to see how those CEOs from different industries share and really care about each other and trust for that. Well, that's really great to hear because it's one thing to talk about the fact that these groups are effective. It's another thing to really help a reader crawl inside how they work and why they work so well. So I'm glad that uh, that seemed to connect with you. That's great. No doubt about it. And so why is this an important read for anyone who considers themselves a leader? And, and, and I think that each of us, no matter what position we're in, we're in some type of leadership position. No, it's true. Stanford did a study back in 2013 which basically said that nearly two-thirds of CEOs are not receiving any outside leadership advice, which is really rather extraordinary. The study also suggested that CEOs who actually you know, could get advice would gladly take it. <laughs> so uh, it's certainly something out there when we think about um, you know, how lonely it can be, how isolated it can feel when you're running a company of any size. And so I think the idea of getting together with your peers, you know, if you think about it, if you were about to run your first marathon, what you might do is find other people who are also trying to run their first marathon and maybe even mix it up with some people who are more experienced. You're going to have people who are going to cheer you on. They're going to give you training tips and advice. They're going to hold you accountable. Did you do your run yesterday? And I think in many respects for CEOs who are running companies at whatever stage uh, they're in, they can benefit enormously by having other people around them who are committed and dedicated to accomplishing the same things. You know, this kind of reminds me of, uh, I haven't read the book, but I, I'm definitely going definitely going to read the book about Lincoln and his, and his what he called the Gang of Four or Gang of Peers. Yes. But he had, a, he had a, a similar premise in regards to bringing people together. Do you see a correlation there? Sure. I mean, you, or you look at Doris Kern Goodwin, you know, Team of Rivals, right, where he brought in Team people rivals, who, that, really, book, yes. yeah, who really disagreed uh, with him, quite frankly. These were people who campaigned against him for president, and he brought them in uh, to the cabinet and got their various perspectives. And I think there's a bit of a similar approach there, certainly, that when you seek that out, you know, too often, you know, we as individuals, we surround ourselves with people who think like us. <laughs> and, and what we need to do a better job of is seek out people who may have different points of view, different experiences, so that we can all benefit and learn from one another in that regard. You know, Leo, in your first chapter, you asked the question, and you asked the question, are you a peerless leader? And when I first read it, I was like, hmm, I was questioning myself, you know. And sometimes being an entrepreneur, 
<laughs> you are a peerless leader. But what, what, what did you hope to strike in, uh, into the reader's mind when you asked that question? But then, of course, in, throughout that chapter, you talk about um, what is a peerless leader. Yeah, I think a peerless leader is one of the two-thirds of people that aren't receiving any outside leadership advice, right? So I think the idea is that if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling isolated, if you are a peerless leader, then you may want to think about how can I bring um, people you know, around me that can help me be successful. You know, it's, it's really interesting. I read a thing uh, recently where they talked about New Year's resolutions, and about 45% of Americans, I guess, undertake some sort of New Year's resolution. By mid-February, 80% of them have, have let it go, right, for whatever uh, incredible commitment and, and desire they had to achieve that goal on January 1. To think that it's gone by February 15th is rather extraordinary. But if you think about it, we're oftentimes really good about defining goals and not so good about always identifying and enlisting the people that can help us make those goals realized, help make them possible. So uh, I think the, the more that we continue to set goals is great, but rather than be a peerless leader, have peers around you who can help you achieve you know, what you want in life. You know, some, some years ago, when I was much younger, I was a regional manager for uh, Dow Jones Financial News Services in Chicago, and there was a magazine that was owned by Fairchild Publications called Selling. Selling. It was a magazine about about sales, and um, I was I was flattered to be asked to to do a cover story, and then there it talked about mentors, and and I guess mentors mentors is another way of looking at having a a peer group that's very supportive, and what I realized was that there were certain gentlemen who were much older than me that um, I I. I I uh, was attracted to because my father was much older, um, who were, who gave me good advice. What do you say to the, the leader who right now doesn't have a peer-to-peer group, but they but 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 they don't want to. They, they feel if they do share that they're going to feel vulnerable. You talk about accepting vulnerability and being in a peer-to-peer group. Why is that important? Well, what's really interesting about it is. Actually, when people join peer groups, actually that trust and that ability to be vulnerable in those groups happens much more quickly than you might imagine. Uh, We talk about it a little bit in the book, but I think what's rather extraordinary is when you consider the world in which we live where we show up in most places with always our best face, our best foot forward, and, and all of that, and yet all of us have stuff going on in our lives. There's no question about that. What's interesting about it is I think people are actually, you know, hungry for an opportunity to sit with a group of people where they believe that people are there to learn rather than judge, to uh, listen more than they talk, and, and to really, uh, you know, look at the fact that we're all in the same boat. We all have things going on in our companies. We have things going on in our lives. And the more we're able to share that and bring our whole selves to that meeting, the greater opportunity we have to get to the heart of whatever issue that you're trying to deal with and realize that there are other people dealing with the same issue. What you probably experienced in a Vistage group, for example, would have been someone processing an issue that was important to them and with everyone else in the room participating in that. But yet, for some of the other CEOs there, they're thinking, wow, that's an issue in my company too. I just didn't identify it as such. And they continue to learn you know, from that conversation, even though it wasn't an issue they brought to the group 
everybody is uh, gaining from it. So it's pretty uh, pretty great stuff. That is that is awesome. And um, when we talk about the benefits of a peer advisory group, you outline the five benefits of a peer-to-peer group, which are impartiality, shared challenges, learning, empathy, and owning the situation. Why are these elements so important to being a great participant in a peer-to-peer group? Yeah, I think what's uh, interesting about this is if you think about if you're a CEO, who do you have to talk to? Maybe you've got some of your employees. Maybe you've got uh, a board of directors and all. In most cases, everybody's got some stake in the outcome. So to actually be with a group of peers uh, who don't have a stake in the outcome, I think that's very, very important. As I may mention, part of the interesting Part of these groups, of course, is that you have a bank president with a, someone who runs a hospital, someone who runs an ad agency or a small manufacturing firm. And oftentimes there's this question, you know, that a CEO may have before joining a group, which is these people know nothing about their business. How could they possibly help me? And this is where shared challenges comes in because they realize that while they have a lot of the same issues, and what's fortunate about that as well is that what practices to handle those issues, which may be commonplace of one industry or unheard of elsewhere. So this is where they can exchange ideas, where oftentimes when you are kind of in an industry-specific group, although very valuable as well and it has its own benefits, um, you know, there's you, you tend to be kind of talking to yourselves, you know, with regard to what industry practices are, and they become pretty limiting. Obviously, you learn a whole lot from one another. There's the empathy factor of someone who knows exactly what it's like to sit in the CEO's chair. So you're not getting it from someone who has a perspective from marketing or HR or or finance, but someone who really understands what it's like to make decisions for the entire organization. And I think finally, because accountability is such a key factor here, what's different about a peer advisory group versus a consulting firm handing you a report is that you discuss the issue with the group. You may get some suggestions and advice from the group, but at the end, you're asked to really sit back and say, what resonated with me? How how do I feel about that? And then I come up with, as CEO, here are the things that I want to do. So I'm coming up with my own solution. I am owning that solution because it wasn't imposed on me at all. This is just something uh, in, that I'm coming up with. and And I commit to the group. Okay, here's when I'll do it. And then the group works with me to hold me accountable to that. But I think when you own the solution, it's a lot easier to be held accountable for it. Accountability, very, very, Mm -hmm. very, very important. Uh, When you talk about the peer engagement model of network, connect, optimize, and accelerate, in layman's terms, um, how does this model work for the CEO in this peer-to-peer group? Sure, and you know it works for the CEO as it does with anyone. We all connect. We we meet people at, at business events. We have LinkedIn profiles. We you know seek out information from people. If I want to buy a car, for example, I might look for other people who are peers in that they share an interest at a given period of time who have driven that car. So I want to hear from them about what their experience was like. Even though I don't know any of those people, the prevailing sentiment of that group is something that um, I'm willing to listen to. So I think we create connections in that way. We network in a way that is a little more selective and more purposeful. So, you know, I know you and you may know someone at Seton Hall, and if I'm interested in getting a job at Seton Hall, I might talk with you about that and who I can connect with, and you can help me 
build those bridges because we built a relationship of trust and you're willing to uh, talk with people about that. Those tend to be individual pursuits by and large. What we talk about with optimize and accelerate tend to be in a group environment. So Seton Hall University basketball team, right? Very exciting that they're uh, head, headed for, to the tournament. Let's not forget about the women. They oh, two, they're two years in a row. I know. Two and years uh, in a row. <laughs> yeah, and they've, um, and they've got a Bridgeport, I think, is the draw they have there. So yes. that's going to be exciting for them. And they've yeah. just improved tremendously over the past several years. And that's been, um, you know, that's been great. But when, when you think about teams that work really, really hard to basically chase perfection in pursuit of excellence, right, uh, that's what it really means to optimize. Great sports teams do it. Uh, the Blue Angels do it. When we see that amazing flight when they're 18 inches apart at 500 miles an hour, uh, that's a lot of – we see it as a perfect flight. After every flight, they get together and they have after actions, and they talk about all the little tiny things that need to be tweaked in order to make that a perfect flight next time. When we talk about Accelerate, it's what top CEOs and business leaders do when they step outside their companies, step outside their industry to engage with peers in a manner that is designed to help them be better leaders, grow their companies, run healthier businesses, and that's really what it means to accelerate, and we regard that really as the highest form of realizing peer advantage. We kind of see the difference between peer influence that we experience in every day for as long as we can possibly remember, uh, and peer advantage is something where we're just simply more selective, more strategic, and more structured about how we engage our peers. And we think that you know there's so much about peer influence has been around us our whole lives that we've never given a second thought to. So this book really asks you to say, what if you did give it a second thought? What would it look like if you were more selective, strategic, and structured, what could you accomplish? And interestingly enough, we don't have to guess at the answer to that question because not only Vistage, but YPO or EO or many other competitors out there um, have, have run groups for a lot of years where the members of those groups will tell you what the benefit of doing that is. It's very exciting. It's very powerful. And yet, in this total scheme of things, too few people have ever really gotten you know, really participated in that kind of a group. So I think it's exciting to be able to put this value proposition in front of people and have them give that a second thought, if you will. Excellent. Um, you had mentioned the uh, the Blue Angels, which I thought was fascinating um, to talk about how they do the post-briefing and how in the beginning of the process, when they do their first flight, the post-briefings are very long, but then as they go through, I guess, their, their tour, so to speak, um, and they refine their skill sets, the post-briefings are not as long. Let's talk about uh, what is a post-briefing and the benefits of a post-briefing. Sure. Um, you know, many companies, they say, always don't, don't always conduct these kind of briefings because they think it's a waste of time or whatever. And yet, when you see some of the best teams, the best, uh, you know, companies, the best sports teams, whatever in the world, that's what they do. It's all about the after action. And it's very similar if you think about it. It's when the team gets together afterwards and it's really about the outcome. It's not about ego. It's not about one another. So when the Blue Angels go in, rank is checked in at the door. Everyone knows they can be completely open and honest. What happens in the room stays in the room. And it's where they understand that getting better is what it's all about, especially in their case, because the, the margin for error is so slight and the consequences can be so great. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. You almost might think it's counterintuitive that the 
uh, after actions are over two hours when in fact they're fly, flying slower and more like 30 feet apart than 18 inches apart. Yet the closer they get and the more fine-tuned they get, um, the less time it actually takes for, for the after actions. But I think it's just really critical that everybody's on a level playing field. Everyone trusts one another. They can be vulnerable. They can be open and honest. And it's the difference between why they're so great. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Leo Bateri, who's the co-author of The Power of Peers. Leo, in the, in the book you also talk about, um, I don't know if it was SEAL Team 6 or, or the Navy SEALs, but in, in watching uh, some of the movies that um, uh, a few of the, their actions have been um, put in film, you see that their interaction is so important. It can mean the, the difference uh, of someone's life, life or death. And we see here that I'm sure after they do their missions, they they talk about the post-briefing actions as well so that they can communicate better. How often have you experienced in, in the corporate world where a particular company could have performed so much better if the communication was at a higher level? There's no question. Uh, in fact, Craig Weber wrote a really terrific book called Conversational Capacity. And in it, he talks about how people oftentimes um, fall in one or two camps. They're either all about winning, so the prevailing voice in the room, whether they're right or not, can tend to win the day, or people who are, as he refers to, kind of minimized in that they're afraid to speak up. They're concerned that they may say something that will embarrass them or get them fired or, or whatever if the culture doesn't allow for people to speak in that way. And I think it can have, of course, very detrimental effects, uh, whether you're in the private sector or whether you're in the Blue Angels or, or, or anything else. You need to have a culture where people are free to, to speak their mind, do so thoughtfully and respectfully, and then people know, regardless of what rank they're in the company, that they'll be heard and that any criticism or anything they have really comes from a place of caring. You know, one of the things that we talk about in the book a bit is called carefrontation. You know, the idea that if I, uh, you know, challenge you on something, know that it is coming from a place where I really want you to be successful. And I think oftentimes when that's the case, um, it's received, you know, more more easily, I think, by someone to know that it's coming from the right place. And I think that's really essential. Carefrontation, that, you know, that's a very good point. It makes me think of uh, the book Good to Great where, where the author talks about getting the right people on the bus. And if you feel you have the right people on the bus, then everybody's opinion should be heard. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a tremendous book. And I think there's a lot in there when we talk about having the right people on the bus. I think the metaphor can certainly be extended to having the right people in your group, whether that's a CEO group and making sure you're surrounded by the kind of people who will help you and you are willing to help them. It's certainly uh, you know, a lot of reciprocity there. Or within your organization, that you've got the right team together, that you've got people who are committed to working together and collaborating, and that it's about it's not about who's right, it's about what's right. I love that. Years ago, I'm trying to think of the gentleman who was the CEO of United Airlines. I'm talking about decades ago. Mm. Uh, was it Steve Wolf? And he says it's not about pointing a problem, pointing at people about the problem. It's pointing to what is the problem and then pointing toward the solution. Yes. Where, where that's the focus. How how does the facilitator in these? Um, I know it's, you got to select the right people to be into the group. But, you know, we're all different personalities, and sometimes you can have a personality that 
just fills up the whole room, wants to take up all the time. Um, how does the facilitator a- address that type of situation to keep it cohesive and productive for the for the whole group? Actually, it's not just a facilitator. Uh, the group can have a big say in that too. Uh, <laughs> you know, one of the things that uh, we talk about in when we start getting into the five factors, and the first one is really surrounding yourself with the right people, and also asking yourself, "Am I right for a group? Am I willing to?" you know, be there and kind of check my ego at the door. Because back at my company, I may be the one who people are afraid to talk to. But in this room, no one's going to be afraid to talk with you and speak their mind. They are all the top uh, person in their organization. So I think the group can have a great hand at that. One of the things that we talk about, and we work um, really from Dave Logan's uh, research, when we talk about triads. So when we think about a triad, we have the leader of the group, we have the group as a group themselves, as an entity, and the individual member. And if you think about it, they form a triad, and inside that triad, everybody's got the back of the relationship. And what that does is, certainly from a communication standpoint, it's really helpful. So, for example, if you and I, in this conversation now, if there was some misunderstanding, if there were a third person here, they'd be like, oh, no, Leo, you're not understanding where Daryl's coming from or whatever, and they can play that role in being able to bring clarity to an issue. So uh, triads are oftentimes used in, in small groups, you know, as far as the, the larger group meeting situation, or as a group itself, they form that. And that is much more favorable to the big all-knowing chair, for example, who has just all these little dyad relationships with, with the members, right? Because a big part of the, you know, smart God's job, as, as we define it, uh, in the book is bringing that group together and making sure that they're learning from one another and interacting and collaborating in a way that really is firing on all cylinders. You know, we're quickly running out of time. I could have you on for <laughs> another program to mm-hmm. dive more, but let's talk about uh, the other. There's five factors that are essential to a group, great group experience, and you talked about selecting the right peers. What are the other four key factors? Selecting the right peers, um, safe environment, which we've talked about that as well. I think that's really critical. The right leadership, just as we talked about just now in terms of that kind of leadership um, that that keeps the group together and has it running well. I think what we haven't talked about as much, though, and is really important because as much as it's really critical for a, a CEO to feel the emotional safety that comes from that trust and safe environment and confidentiality. There's also, from an intellectual front, they need to believe that there's a process and a way to talk about issues that will get them to the heart of the matter so they can really actually arrive at solutions. So we spend a great deal talking about what that looks like inside of a group. And then finally, of course, it's the issue of accountability, which we touched on when we talk about owning your own solution and then, and really holding yourself accountable and other people you know, working to hold you accountable. CEOs tend to love to do that, by the way. They will love to uh, hold one another accountable and make sure that, uh, you know, everyone's doing what they said they would do. But, again, it comes from that place of caring. Over time, everyone really has, you know, a stake in uh, in their fellow CEO members' success, and they just want to see them achieve do well. Great. Excellent. Uh, one other thing I'd like to hit on real quickly is the Vistage reinforcement loop. Can you talk about that? You talked about that a little bit, but can you wrap that up into a bow for our, our guests in regards to this this Vistage reinforcement loop? Sure. I think when we look at our core values at Vistage, they're really about trust, uh, you know, challenge, caring, and growth, essentially. So w- what happens is w- when we trust, you know, we 
have that. That's the foundational piece, right? We need to trust one another. Trust builds caring. And once we know that we're operating from a place of caring, it gives us the opportunity to challenge one another. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when we do that, it allows us to grow, not only as individuals, but as companies and all that. And that becomes a reinforcing loop because once we go through the process and we see that it yields results and that we are growing, then it just fuels greater trust and it goes through the process, which is why the reinforcing loop uh, there is so powerful. If you could, can you share a quote with us, uh, in, in your opinion, that defines leadership? Sure, sure. Uh, actually, a favorite quote of mine is really from Max Dupree. Okay. And it says, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. In between, the leader is a servant. And I know servant leadership is such a big part of Seton Hall University and um, the leadership yes. model here. Yeah. And it's really about what a leader can do to make his team successful, not the other way around. Wow. This has been extraordinary. I want to thank you for coming in for this special interview. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Leo Bateri. He's co-author of the book, The Power of Peers. I, I highly recommend that you get, get this book. It's a fun read. It's an in- informational read. Uh, it's 145 pages. But let me tell you, you want to take notes because it's packed with Good information. Leo, thank you for coming to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this weekend on leadership. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.